Well, good morning. Happy Easter. It feels like Easter, doesn't it? It's sunny. Um, so Brad's wearing a tie. You know, it must be Easter. So we started this whole ministry year, which for us starts in the fall, by saying that we really need some good news. And at the time, a lot of us, I think, were feeling overwhelmed, to say the least, by the ongoing news cycle of bad news. Uh, We were in the middle of a particularly brutal election campaign. Uh, There was a sad and steady stream of stories in the paper that definitely weren't uplifting. That was September. And has there been any bad news since September for anyone? I mean, even this past week, believe me, we won't stay here and dwell here, but even this past week, we've heard about terrible attacks, chemical weapons, uh, the mother of all bombs. You know what I'm talking about? So there's lots and lots of bad news out there, isn't there? But this morning, we're fighting back. You know, in all honesty, we've been fighting back since the fall all year by looking at the good news that Jesus brings to our lives and our communities. But today we're going to try, I'm going to try, together we're going to try to sort of blow it open. Because really, there is one powerful thing that good news does to change things. It brings hope. You know, in the, trust me here, in the novel turned movie, The Hunger Games, really uplifting book, someone asked the bad guy President Snow why he chooses to allow one winner to survive instead of just executing all the people who are in the Hunger Games. And he says this. He says, the reason is hope. He says, the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine as long as it's contained. So today, hopefully, there's no containing the spark. The spark's important. You know, if you're living through some bad news right now, sometimes knowing that God promises that although there are difficult things in your life, he will redeem every loss and pain, that's the spark that helps you to persevere. It's the hope that you need, and it's true. But today is about something different, something that turns up the volume and escapes containment. It's when God blows the containment apart. And what I'm talking about is experiencing a miracle, big or small. Miracles change everything. You know, I experienced a small miracle when I first moved away from home. Um, I, lived, I came from a small town. I was in a big city. Um, I was on my own for the first time. And here I was taking exams for the first time, and I was nervous. I remember I studied as hard as I could, but I stepped into this one exam in a class which I thought would be kind of a gimme. It was called linguistics. Now, the interesting thing about linguistics is I was taking this to fulfill my math distribution requirements, yet it was called linguistics. What I didn't realize was this was, uh, you've heard of word problems before? Linguistics is word problems taken up two, three, four, five levels. So it's like mathematically approaching words and trying to figure out and solve little problems with them. And so it was a hard exam. I remember I had an hour for the exam. There were five questions. I read the first question, and I was like, oh, poop. (laughs) I've got no idea how to answer this question. That's okay. There's four more. Let me read the second question. Oh, double poop. 
I don't know how to do this one either. I don't even know where to start. I don't even understand what they're asking me. So then I spent the next 50 minutes of an hour-long exam doing the three other problems, which made some sense to me. And then, with 10 minutes left and two questions I had no idea how to answer, I did <laughs> what small-town boys in the big city often do. I prayed. <laughs> I literally closed my eyes, and I said, God, I know this isn't the most important thing in the world. I know I'm, you know, 17 going on 18 taking an exam, and there are big things happening in the world, but do you think you might help me with this one? Because I'm really afraid I'm going to fail. So I prayed a prayer something like that. I opened my eyes. I went back to the first question. I read it. I had no idea how to answer it. So I read the second question, and just like sort of a, a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, I know what this is. And so I scramble, I write as fast as I can. It takes me only five minutes. I answer that when I have five minutes left. I look at the last question. I read it. I realize I have no idea what the answer to this question is. So here's what I do. I've heard that sometimes if you just write things that are in the question, you can get some partial credit. <laughs> so I pretended for a moment I was a theater major studying acting. I tricked myself to believe that I was going to write something. And so I just start taking facts from the question and rewriting them. So whatever it was, this and that, and, you know, I was just copying from the question and blah, 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 blah. And I'm going and going and going and going. Next thing you know, I've got three sentences of what I think is probably going to be nonsense. But maybe if I use some of the right terms, I'll get a few points and I'll do a little bit better on the exam. So I go back and I read over what it is that I have written. And lo and behold, it's the right answer. I'm like, wait a second. Let me read this again, these random collections of facts that I put together to try and get some bonus points. It was the right answer. And when I got the exam back, the two questions I had no idea how to answer, I got 100% on those. And the other ones I did fine. <coughs> now, this is not the most important thing that was happening in the world that day, on that campus that day, maybe even in that classroom that day, but it's it spoke something to me. It told me that here I am, small town boy, big city, on my own for the first time, that God was with me. It just communicated to me that if God's here for me in these small things, maybe he's with me in the big stuff. Maybe I'm supposed to be here. And you know what? The next four years turned out to be crazy four years for me of spiritual renewal. And little things like that happen from time to time. And in the end of that four years, I was dead set on doing a startup congregation somewhere in the world, which ended up being the startup congregation in West Philadelphia, which ended up being this church. Now, does, do, you, do I owe all of that to this one little minor miracle uh, on an exam as a 17-year-old? I don't know if I want to put that much on it, but it changed the way I viewed everything around me. It brought new reality in my life. And so today and for the next several weeks, after spending six weeks talking about the problems in the world and our call to address those, and we did a 40-day series on justice and compassion, we looked at Jesus' mission statement where he talked about what he really cares about. Now we're going to spend the next month or so looking at how God comes through. We talk a lot about persevering. Even this talk is going to have a little bit of perseverance in it. Because it's important. 
Life isn't simple. It's not just that you believe and the miracles happen and everything's fixed. Sometimes you persevere through very difficult things. And your hope is the spark. The spark that God can flip this. God can redeem this eventually. That this will come back around. It'll be meaningful. But also there are times in our lives where what in this church we often refer to as the kingdom of God breaks in to the ordinary world and something extraordinary happens. And we actually need those types of experiences in big ways and in small ways. So today we're going to talk about why miracles are important. And to do that, we're going to look at the biggest miracle of all, the biggest difference maker, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Read with me. This is Luke 24. And while they were still talking about this, what they're talking about is that um, uh, the women have seen Jesus alive. And of course, none of the men believe it. Because that's another sermon, okay? (laughs) I've actually given that sermon. It's really good. Maybe I'll bring it back on Mother's Day or something like that. But the women have said, we've seen him. He's alive. And the men have been like, huh? What? So that's our context. While they were still talking about this, what? Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I, myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And we'd said this. He showed them his hands and his feet. And while they did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when he led them out, of the, out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So why are miracles so important? Well, first, (coughs) life is hard. This isn't where we're going to land today, but I don't think we can just pretend it isn't. Life is hard, (coughs) but good. Consider how this passage today ends. It says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted, lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, when Jesus did this, when he raised his hands to bless them as his last act with them, I think it's reasonable that the disciples would have come face to face with two things. One, they would have seen before them the ultimate goal of their lives. They saw a miracle that could be theirs someday. They saw the completely renewed body of Jesus. And it would have communicated to them not just uh, the body that they would have someday, but the promise of the renewal of all things. It was a dead body renewed. And that was the mission that Jesus was going to leave with them. It was his mission. We talked about for six weeks. And he said, all right, now I'm leaving it to you. There's a little bit more to that. But that's the first thing I imagine they would notice. But the second thing would be this. They would have seen his scars. 
Remember earlier in the story, he talks about, put your hand here. See, look, it's me. As he raised his hands to bless them, they would have seen the scars still a part of his renewed, resurrected body. Now, that to me is a little bit of a surprise. Because when I think of being resurrected, when I think of renewal, I think of everything brand new. I think of, you know, you hear phrases like every tear wiped away, um, everything put right. And I would think that the healing and restoration of Jesus' resurrected body would be like brand new, right? But not carrying scars from his life before. And you might think that might be discouraging for his disciples, but actually I think it was the most powerful thing they could have seen. You know, the most inspirational stories are ones of great sacrifice. They're ones of perseverance through great pain. Jesus wasn't letting go of those stories. If anything, those scars told that story. You know, one of my favorite plays is a play called Henry V. And in this play, there's this great speech where Henry realizes he's a king. He realizes his army is outnumbered five to one. It's called the Battle of Adincourt. And everyone thinks that they're going to lose. And so people start saying, should we just go home? And of course, it's a Shakespearean play. So Henry has this amazing monologue that people never have in real life. Saying why they should stay. And because because it's Shakespeare, it really touches on something that I think is true about the human experience. I'm going to read you a little bit of it. Bear with me. I haven't practiced it that much, although I wasn't a theater student. But I hope you get the main ideas here. And this is what Henry says. He says, this day is called the Feast of Crispian. And he that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand tiptoe when the day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then he will strip his sleeve And show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. But he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, being in their flowing cups freshly remembered, the story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin, Crispian shall never go by from this day to the ending of the world when we in it shall not be Remembered, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers, and gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day. You understand what Henry's saying there? He's saying the scars that we experience in life. Those are our glory. For Jesus, he was not ashamed of the cross. He wasn't ashamed of the trial that he went through to get to where he got. The miracle of redemption, the miracle of resurrection, comes often, resurrection, on the other side of pain and suffering and death. But those wounds... When they're renewed, when they're healed, they're not wounds anymore. 
They're not painful anymore. They are reasons for glory, for looking back, for saying this is what I lived through and how God brought me through it. And here is the result on the other end. This is the miracle of Easter, the miracle of the resurrection. This is the adventure of life. This is joining with God in his mission to renew the world and having the stories to tell. Miracles are important first because life is hard. And we hear the stories of difficulty. We live them. We need the miracle of redemption. The hope for this. And the hope for this is that dangerous spark that keeps us going. But if we're honest, we want more than a spark. So miracles are also important because they offer us a new reality. Miracles remind us. They're like signposts. They're wake-up moments that say, wow, this is real. God is really alive. Something bigger is happening around me. I'm not alone. Things on a cosmic level can shift. Notice that the passage points out that Jesus' disciples are skeptical that it's really Jesus. So they're full of doubt. They're willing to believe all sorts of things before believing that Jesus is actually alive, like that he's a ghost. And so he says to them, look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. And one of the reasons that Jesus' brand new body with special abilities, like being able to materialize in a room, that's pretty cool, kept the scars of his crescent crucifixion was so that he could be identified so that people could know this is actually jesus notice in verse 48 it says you are witnesses of these things and the point being that it was important that people could identify who he is so they could say it was true because when this story is written and all the stories of the life of jesus scholars agree are written within the first 40 or 50 years after the death and resurrection of jesus when people are still alive who were there. And Jesus wanted people to say, we saw it. He was alive. He is alive. When the supernatural breaks into the natural world, hope explodes. Oh my gosh, this is real. He's alive. God cares. And this is, I mean, this to me is enough. But what I have found as I've read and talked to people is sometimes that the factuality of Jesus being resurrected is becoming less and less important to people. And here's what I mean. In today's society, my experience is that we're less skeptical and more cynical. And oftentimes the question of whether the resurrection happened or not isn't really our main concern. In the past, skeptics have looked at natural law and dismissed the resurrection because it contradicts natural law. It's a miracle. And this becomes a reason to be skeptical of the resurrection of Jesus. But today, I think we're typically less concerned with natural law and more focused on an internal, personal law. And from this point of view, whether or not Jesus was actually raised from the dead isn't necessarily people's primary concern. The concern is more... What do I find acceptable and helpful? One scholar I wrote put it this way. He says, now that the assumption, now with that assumption in place and that inner law in place, it doesn't matter whether Jesus rose 
from the dead because whether he did or didn't, my issue is, do I care? Do I find that idea helpful? Do I feel that it helps me flourish as a human being? In other words, we often think in our culture today something along the lines of, well, Jesus may have risen for the dead. So what? And there are lots of spiritual things in this world that may be true, but what's the big deal if this one is? Who cares? And this is the, the essence, really, of cynicism, namely that it doesn't really make a difference. So here's why this miracle and miracles in general are so important. And that is that they fill the ordinary with new meaning. Let me suggest that this idea, this idea of a resurrected God, is the most helpful, life-changing idea that's ever existed. One that, if you can get a hold of it, can radically transform your life like no other idea or religion or philosophy on this planet. A God who died matters because a God that has been wounded is a God that you can trust. A God that's been wounded is not a God on a power trip. It's a God who sacrifices. It's a God who gives, not one who takes. It's a God we can listen to because he's proven that he's for us. And there are lots of religions, lots of faiths, lots of spiritual perspectives that put forward a God who loves us. But I wonder if there's any other religion that speaks of a God who loves us at his own expense. A God who's crucified in our place for our sins and who now carries the scars to prove it. This is the story of the resurrection to Jesus and to cynics everywhere, including myself. Look at my hands and my feet. A God who sacrifices for you, for me, for us, is suddenly a God we can trust. And this is really the main message to both skeptics and cynics in this passage. I'm trustworthy. At the heart of both skepticism and cynicism is fear. Fear of being wrong, fear of being duped. Fear can be actually a good thing, but when it keeps us from embracing something that will bring us the best things in life, it harms us. And the only antidote for overreaching skepticism and cynicism, the only way to keep them from ruling in our lives, is to find something that you can trust. We can trust a God who died. Jesus' scars also matter because they speak of his real, ongoing, physical nature. So notice that Jesus goes to great lengths to prove that he has a real physical body. Even this nice little fun detail where he says, give me a piece of broiled fish. Which for years I was like, well, that's an interesting thing to put in the Bible. Could I have some broiled fish, please? But that's actually more insanely important than we realize. You know, Jesus just appeared to the eleven for the first time. He asks him for some fish, he eats it. And this is a big idea because first they think he's a ghost, right? And this conception will go along with the popular idea of the day that material things, like our bodies, like the earth, like everything we can touch and feel, in that day there was a big way of thinking that said all those things are inherently bad. 
Liberation was commonly viewed as freedom from the body, freedom from material existence. And only spiritual things were considered good. But Jesus honors material things by being resurrected in an actual material way. A different body, a better body, but a real material body that could be touched, that had scars, that could consume food, broiled fish. And there's a big implication here. And that was that in his death and resurrection, Jesus wasn't trying to leave this material world. He was working to renew it. He valued it so much, he gave everything for it. In other words, everything around you, your body, your job, your relationships, this neighborhood, social inequality, economic disparity, your character, are not just things to be put up with until they pass away. They're things to be renewed. Every one of them matters. And the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus and what he's done, is not that Jesus offers us a get-out-of-jail-free card at the end of life. It's that Jesus offers us renewal in all areas of life now. He doesn't want to take us out of the struggles of the world. He wants to bring like an extreme home makeover to every corner of this city and every corner of our lives. And yes, the promises of Jesus, they extend for eternity. But the promise is also that they begin now. And even if you don't believe in Jesus, because of these implications, because of a resurrected, scarred, physical God, you should want this to be true. One of my favorite Easter quotes is from a theologian named N.T. Wright. He writes about this and he says, The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. That the injustices and the pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news that healing, justice, and love have won. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised as a spiritual or in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me and finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity becomes good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming our hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that he will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory and the victory of Jesus over them all. Take away Easter, Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems in the material world. Take it away in Freud was probably right to say Christianity was wish fulfillment. Take it away in Nietzsche was probably right to say it was for wimps. But the resurrection says that it all matters. It means if you have a horrible relationship with your children, maybe you've made some decisions and you're alienated now, maybe you weren't around for them like you should be, the resurrection says God wants to renew that relationship. In your neighborhood, if you see violence on the corner, or maybe like my street, someone was shot on the street two, door down, two doors down from you, and you see a lack of opportunity or economic and social injustice for the folks living around you, maybe you're experiencing it yourself, the resurrection means that God actively is committed to renewing your neighborhood and empowering you to be part of that transformation. This great city certainly has its problems. The resurrection means that God wants to use our church 
to make the city even better. But it also means that the mundane things of your life can take on eternal significance. If Jesus is renewing all things, the material things, the things that surround me right now matter. If instead of being burned up someday, they're all instead going to be given new life, then how I treat them matters. What I put in my body matters. How much water and gas I use matters. What I do with my trash matters. Every one of these small things is an opportunity to participate in the renewal of Jesus that's coming to all things. An opportunity that exists now, today, in a small way, but also in a meaningful way. And that's hard to believe sometimes. And like Jesus' disciples in this passage, it sometimes seems too good to be true. But the miracle of Jesus' resurrected body tells us that this life matters just as much as the next. <coughs> Excuse me. Finally, miracles offer a transcendent experience. What am I talking about? Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Luke writes Luke, what's called Luke today, and then he also writes Acts of the Apostles. And he tells this little ascension of Jesus story twice. In the first chapter of his book known as Acts, he adds a little detail, which I'd like to read for you. This is the 10th verse, it says, they were looking intently up in the sky. So Jesus has just ascended to heaven. It says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. In other words, I think their minds were just blown. Everything they experienced, interacting with Jesus who was dead and was now alive, it was definitely him because he had the scars, and then he's gone, and they're just like, uh, looking up. I think they're having one of those moments where you touch something that's bigger than you, that points to something grander going on in the world that we often don't touch, that we forget about that miracles tap us into. The best way I can think of explaining this is it's something I think we're all very hungry to experience all the time, but we rarely do. When we do, it changes us. The best way I can think to describe this is actually experience I had playing golf, which I've only done twice. I'm not very good at golf. Don't care that much about it. But I had this experience that's given me something to think about ever since. So the only time I played an actual round of golf, i.e. I wasn't just hitting... Uh, on a driving range, I was pretty bad. So, but I learned quickly these little cheats where I could sort of get the ball where I wanted to go without taking all day, right? <clears throat> so in the midst of learning all these cheats, how to go on the course, there was one time where I just lined up the ball. I've got terrible form. I don't even remember what I was doing. I didn't have a jacket on. But I just lined it up, and I did a backswing, and I don't know what happened, but the cosmos aligned for a moment and everything was perfect and when I connected to that ball 
It's not an exaggeration to say electricity went through my body. I buzzed. And the ball, which had never done this before, went flying straight and long. And of course, I had all these cheats, so I had way too much club, so it went way over the green. But I didn't care because it felt so good. And it was like I discovered for a moment how my body was made to swing a golf club. And I realized for the first time why anybody ever plays golf. It felt so good. It was the way things were meant to be, the way my body was meant to swing. We're all looking for how our bodies are made to swing. And we're struggling to find it. We're making mistakes. We're falling down. We're getting back up. And there are times in life where it all lines up. They're transcendent experiences. Miracles are one of those. When we tap into something bigger than us, that we hope for, that we long for. And there's the slog. There's the perseverance. And all those develop your character and they show who you really are. But there are also those moments where heaven is open, where the veil is pulled back and it's electric. Miracles are a part of that. They open us to a world that we forget exists and connect us to it. It's like electricity. And that experience blows away any bad news that you read because it reminds you that that news isn't the whole story. So let me ask you. We just did this 40 days series. And as part of that series, I I wrote this, so I made you do it. You were supposed to do a big ask. Something that could happen in your life that was big enough that if it happened, you knew it wasn't anything that you could have done on your own, that God had to be involved. Did, and you don't have to say it out loud. We don't have time. But did any of you have an electric moment with your big ask where the veil was pulled back and something happened? If so, I want you to email me today. Because you can't just, A, let go of that story because it doesn't happen all the time. And B, Somebody else probably needs to hear your story. We need to know that miracles are happening. When we get overwhelmed by all the bad news in the world, we need to know that there's good, cosmic, life-changing stuff happening. So your assignment for Easter is to email me your story of your big ass. And beyond that, I imagine at some point in your life, you've had some experiences like this. You've touched something real that's bigger than you. You've experienced God in a way you weren't expecting to. So today, we need to celebrate that. And the miracle that makes all of those moments possible is the resurrection of Jesus. So we're not done yet today. We get to celebrate. First, let's pray. Jesus, uh, we celebrate today that you are alive and that makes all the difference. We celebrate Knowing that redemption and resurrection are possible keeps us going. But we also celebrate that you breaking in and shaking things up and shaking things down could happen at any moment and does. We celebrate that you're alive, that we're not just praying in a thin air. And we pray that as we lift you up, you'll draw us into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.
you're on the worship team, please come on up. Also, um, if you're representing the prayer team today, if you could come forward. Um, our prayer team prays before the service, and sometimes they have these impressions of what God's up to. It can be really powerful. So, Emily. Emily.